Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. If my records are accurate, this is the 116th episode of the podcast. 116. And today we're going to revisit some very old content from a Casting Across perspective, as well as a topic that has recently come to the forefront of my mind. And it's something that I think is probably worth talking about only because this time of year is the time of year that I am thinking about where I want to go fly fishing in the coming season. So this is being recorded in the middle of the winter. There is literally a fresh four to six inch coating of snow coming down outside of my window. And these are the kinds of days when I daydream or contemplate the kind of place that I'm going to go spend my time when things get warmer. So I feel like this is a very appropriate time to talk about places where you might want to go fishing, the places that we would call famous rivers or heritage streams or the kind of places that had a lot of notoriety maybe 20 or 50 years ago. And so kind of as a starting point, I'm going to revisit an article that I wrote five years ago over five years ago now, it was in December of 2015, and it was on the heels of writing an article about Big Spring Creek in Pennsylvania. So for those of you who aren't from the Mid-Atlantic region, the Big Spring Creek is in south-central Pennsylvania, only about maybe 20 to 25 miles north of the Maryland border. So if you live in Washington, D.C. or Pittsburgh, uh, it's only about a two-hour drive to get there. And this was historically one of the most productive brook trout fisheries on the east coast i mean really outside of maine and moving up to canada what you found in the spring creek in a farming community in a valley of south central pennsylvania was simply remarkable and this was the case up until the turn of the century from the uh, 1800s to the 1900s there's a lot of information that you can find about Big Spring Creek, and I would suggest using my article called Big Things on Big Spring as kind of a, a starting point. But between the Pennsylvania Council of Trout Unlimited, the Cumberland Valley Chapter of Trout Unlimited, as well as a number of other local um, stream advocacy websites and articles, and even um, some scientific journals, there's a lot of information on there. But 
All that to say, this is one of my favorite streams. Anytime I'm in the area, it's one of the two streams that I fish. I fish it and I fish Latorte Spring Run. And both of these streams kind of have the infamous reputation of being, quote, not as good as they used to be. Do you have a stream like that near you? I'm sure that you do. The stream was wonderful 50 years ago, but what happened to it? And there might be some very clear reason as to why that water isn't as good as it used to be. Or it might just be that without any sort of recognizable reason, it's just not the way that it was, either as when you were a child or your father or your grandfather or whoever used to fish it. But I fished Big Spring Creek and Latorte Spring Run anytime I am back in South Central Pennsylvania. When I lived on those streams, I fished those streams multiple times a week. And I became very familiar with them. And it almost got to the point where all of that noise about these streams not being as good as they used to be really faded into the background because what they were was so much more profound. And I can appreciate, you know, give a little bit of time, a little bit of distance, a little bit of objectivity that these streams aren't performing in a fish production standpoint in the same way they were 100 years ago. But there's, you can't go back in time. And are they performing better now than maybe they were five years ago? Yeah. So, you know, everything is kind of on this, uh, you know, journey along a bell curve. Things are getting better. Things are getting worse. There's a lot more brook trout on Big Spring Creek now than there was 15 years ago, for example. Um, there was a ton of brown trout in that stream and they were carnivorous and they were causing problems, but now it's primarily a brook trout and rainbow trout fishery and they seem to get along a lot better. But anyway, that's a little bit of an excursus, but just kind of speaking to that point of there's fisheries that aren't the same today as they are in the famous books that you are reading, or maybe in the reputations of these streams that might just be out there in the general public. So you might find this if you know you, you live um, on a very popular water, especially in the East Coast, that maybe the general consensus about what this fishery is around the rest of the country or the world might be something based upon an article or a book or something like that that was written a generation ago, but it's not that today. But does that mean it's bad? Does that mean it's not worth your time? Absolutely not. And so it was in that spirit that I wrote this article and I kind of amended it for the purposes of today's podcast. And after I finish with it here in a second, I'm going to kind of revisit some of these concepts. And I called it, I Still Want to Go. And again, it was after thinking and writing about that progress on Big Spring Creek in Pennsylvania. It got me thinking about the other famous streams that have more or less fallen on hard times. And largely, it was due to the impacts of poor fisheries management, to be fair, and or environmental neglect. Some of these rivers that our grandfathers lauded as the destination waters have declined in one way or another. So it could be the quantity of fish, it could be the quality of fish, and either of those is just not there anymore. They're not getting as big or not catching as many of them. But there are still fish present. There's not a whole lot of streams that are simply devoid of trout or another species. And there's still good fishing to be had, but things have changed. And people don't like change. We don't like change. If it was supposed to be X and it is no longer X, it is Y or it is, it is Z, then we don't like that. Now, we could argue the various and sundry issues that face our rivers all day long. And even on the same water with the same data set, everyone has an opinion as to what the real culprit or culprits are. 
So kind of big picture, looking across the spectrum of, of rivers, even just on the East Coast, I've heard about climate change, invasive species, uh, fast action fly rods and the advantage they give people, uh, 20-somethings and flat-brimmed hats, always the ire of the general angling public, right? Strike indicators. The picture of the fish strung up on the eagle claw snelled hook package. The media, the internet, or, of course, bait fishermen. Poor, poor bait fishermen. Anyway, some of those are worthy of consideration. Others, on the other hand, are simply the curmudgeonly rants of disenfranchised fly fishers. But should any of that message board or uh, fly shop chatter keep any of us off those creeks? No way. But just in recent memory, I've had a handful of fly shop employees give me the smirk and huff routine when I mentioned I was either just at or on my way to one of these formerly famous streams. And I get it. They are quote-unquote overrated. Sure, there's plenty of other secret and under-the-radar waters where the trout grow fat on the self-righteous oil slick of certain fishermen. But those places weren't where I wanted to fish. Where did I want to fish? Well, one example was the beaver kill. So we're talking south-central, southeastern New York. A friend and I were up on the rest branch of the Delaware for a weekend, and the rain had been torrential prior to our arrival. We had been catching fish, but the flows were a little bit wonky, and it wasn't spectacular. Now, I love the history of fly fishing, and so if you've read the website or you've listened to the podcast, you know that. I, I think that there is a, a lot of value in knowing the history of fly fishing. Uh, it just adds a lot. It enriches your experience when you're on the water, and I mean, you know, I'm in the middle of winter now again. When you're not on the water, it gives you something else to, to focus on and think about, but I love the history of fly fishing, but I'd never been on the beaver kill. So we started off fishing the junction pool. Then we fished the headwaters, which were made famous by Lee Wolf, and we had a blast. Now, the trout weren't huge. Most of them were between 8 and 14 inches, and nor were they as strong as their torpedoes we had been catching on the Delaware. Um, and I, I think totally objectively that the fish that we catch on the beaver kill, if they were the same size, the fish we were catching on either of branches of the Delaware, they were just less, less powerful. It was a much smaller stream. At the same time, we had fun, and it was in a beautiful and historic place. So, show up at a fly shop. Oh, yeah, he said. We here in the shop don't fish there that much. Well, I thought, you know, good thing, because when I was there, I saw a guy with, get this, a spinning rod. Now, that would have really gotten their streamers all articulated had they have seen that, given the attitude that they had demonstrated to me and my buddy. So that's one example, a perfectly serviceable stream. The fish were rising to dry flies. They were chasing nymphs. It was a beautiful location with a lot of historical presence. It just wasn't the same as other local rivers or maybe what that stream had previously held a reputation for being. Now, there's the other one was Mossy Creek in Virginia, okay? So I lived in the state of Virginia for well over 10 years, and in that time, I just never made the trip. So this one winter, I had a day to fish while visiting some family, and I decided to finally fish what is debatably the most well-known creek in the Old Dominion. Now, it was a cold day, and I was harassed by cows for the two hours I got to fish. But 
I was able to get into some nice brown trout. And I had a great time. It wasn't some Valhalla moment. It wasn't enormous fish. It wasn't this picturesque fishing situation. Again, I was stepping in cow pies and making sure I wasn't hooking somebody's prize Holstein on my back cast. But it was still, it was a good time fishing. In my opinion, it was a remarkable stream because of the historical presence that it had. Maybe just in my own mind, but I was fishing on that remarkable stream that I'd wanted to fish for a long time. Show up at the fly shop, and what happened? Well, Mossy isn't worth a drive anymore. And that was growled by grumpy McTiza flies for a living. And he said, I could tell you five streams that you would have caught more fish on. And... In that moment, I thought, well, I can tell you why people buy flies from online retailers instead of you. You know, it's because of your attitude. But again, I'm generally polite, so I didn't say that. If you're into fly fishing just to catch fish, then there are trout farms aplenty that cater to that desire. You drive up, you throw your line, your worm, or your piece of corn, or maybe if you're feeling adventurous, your fly into a pond. You can catch a fly, uh, a fish, you know, a very, very fat, probably very silver rainbow trout. And admittedly, there's also a lot of water out there that is not necessarily that famous water that is incredibly productive. And these waters, unlike those trout farms, are candidates for being the next passe overrated river. Because sadly, one overturned tanker truck, one popular magazine article, or one clump of rock snot can make it the stream that our grandkids hear us reminiscing about. It is one environmental situation from becoming the next overrated stream. Thankfully, places like Mossy Creek and the Beaver Kill River are still very viable fisheries. They're not trout on every cast, they're not 20-inch trout on the regular, but they're very viable fisheries. And they have beautiful scenery, they have historic significance, and they have more than enough trout to keep one interested to make them worthwhile. Now, fly fishing has been about the fish and what goes into the pursuit of them, always. Fishing where Lee Wolf fished is a fun experience. Spending the day on a spring creek that you've read about for years and years is going to be, in one way or another, a pleasure. It might not be a productive experience in some completely objective standard of pounds of fish or inches of fish or number of fish caught, but it's still going to be a pleasure. In closing, I want to kind of give the fly shop guys the benefit of the doubt, and here's why. So I don't want to wax all psychological about it, but maybe their facade of indifference or indignation was a defense mechanism. A defense mechanism to cope with a loss. Maybe, just maybe, they knew those rivers when they were the places that journalists wrote about. They're guys who are old enough where this may very well have been the case. They were the places where famous angling personalities made their homes. They're the places where fish grew fat of nostalgia. Maybe early in the season, these guys write it down, they go to those rivers, they smile warmly at how a certain light, the water is the same as it always has been. For me, it's that way when I go, regardless of what I catch and what's happening on the water. And I think that's a little bit of a difference. And, you know, nostalgia is a really dangerous impulse if we rely too heavily on it. But I maintain what I said you know, in the last 15 minutes, go fish the places that you want to go fish. 
And the, the examples I gave today are great examples of some place where it's not like where you have to fish there. Both the Beaverkill and Mossy Creek have countless fantastic alternatives within a few minutes drive. I mean, I even said it regards to the Beaverkill story that I told. I was fishing on the West Branch for a number of days, catching big trout. And it was only when the flows got a little squirrely that we decided to go and fish the beaver kill. But I had a great time. It was a totally different kind of fishing. Um, it was much more intimate. It was closer. It wasn't small mountain stream fishing, but compared to bombing out long casts and just putting a, a fly a dozen feet above a riding, rising fish, I had to be a lot more precise. So it was a real cool change of pace. Similarly with Mossy Creek. I had fished brook trout streams all around that spring creek for a dozen years before I went and finally fished it. But even even if you were to say, I want to try a different kind of spring creek fishing, there's a number of spring creek fisheries right in that area if you want to fish for trout. And if you want to catch big fish, if that's what you're after, then there are a number of fantastic smallmouth and musky fisheries in the immediate vicinity of Mossy Creek. So that's one of the things that I guess I get a little bit frustrated about with people is that they get so down on these fisheries because they go from an A to a B or a B minus. B minus is better than a lot of people have in not just this country, but in this world. Uh, B minus is certainly still worth spending your time on. And I think it, it's worth saying that the first time I went to the beaver kill, I caught fish. And the first time I went to Mossy, I caught fish. I've been back numerous times since then. And there's times where I've caught fish and there's times where I've been skunked. But there's a lot of places I've gone to fish where it's taken me multiple visits before I've gotten into trout. But these fisheries, which are quote-unquote overrated, quote-unquote not what they used to be, they still, for me, produced fish on that first trip. So I think that speaks volumes to the quality of the fishing that's there. Now, I would maintain that that exact same story is true whether you be in Maine, whether you be in the southeast, whether you be in the Rocky Mountains, or whether you be anywhere in between. Whether you're fishing for warm water species or you're fishing for steelhead, now maybe that's a little bit of an overstatement. I think some of the famous steelhead rivers, you might be in for a much longer exercise than just a day if you truly want to get into a fish on one of the historically famous steelhead rivers, but you, you get my point. It might not be that first time. It might take you a few times, but there are very few places where the fish have been completely extirpated from that water. Those do exist, but by and large, across our country, across our famous trout rivers, you're still going to be able to find fish. Uh, here's a perfect example of it. If you ever picked up that book that Trout Unlimited has put out, and I think it's in its second edition now, but it's... It, I don't have it in front of you. I've got a couple other books in front of me. I'm going to talk about one here in a minute. It's something to the effect of like the 50 best trout streams in the United States or something like that. A lot of those streams and rivers are the rivers. And they're in there not because they're productive, but because they have historic value, yet they still produce. So although everybody and their brother went and fished there. Although there was this hatchery built on the banks of the river, although there was all these lodges and all these guides and all of their sports that were on that water year after year, decade after decade, prior to contemporary regulations and ethics and all those things, they still produce today. All this to say, don't feel 
any sort of apprehension about going to fish one of these famous waters. It's absolutely worthwhile. There's a number of other places I've fished. I mean, the, the Batten Kill in Vermont is a great example. It's not what it used to be, but it still produces, and there's historical value there. It is worth a trip. Is it worth maybe your whole vacation? Maybe not, but is it worth a few days? Of course it is. And you could say the same thing about rivers in Pennsylvania and in Michigan and Montana and Wyoming and really across the country. But there's a lot more than just the quantity and quality of fish. Think about it as a much more holistic experience. Any thoughts, any waters that you kind of lump into this category and a story that you have, kind of like my story with the uh, Beaver Kill or Mossy Creek, I'd love to hear it. Um, not because I'm going to go and hop on those waters anytime soon, but just because I have a number of waters that I would lump into that category, I'd be interested to hear what my listeners uh, also put in that category. So if that's the case, if you have a, a trout stream or a bass stream or a, a musky river or, hey, even a catfish pond that you could say, you know what, everyone said don't fish here because it's been overfished and it's not what it used to be, yet I went and had a good time even though I didn't catch fish or maybe I did catch fish and prove them all wrong let me know matthew at castingacross.com we're coming up on another episode where i share some listener and reader stories so if i had something along those lines i could put on the podcast that would be great so again matthew at castingacross.com you can always use the contact page on the website this week on castingacross.com the very first article which came out on monday was called a different color of fly fishing marketing so something I've talked about a few times on the podcast and mentioned also on the website is just this um, mentality that if if there's any sort of quote-unquote ulterior motive or strings attached to anything in fly fishing social media that it's scary. Well, I don't think that's true. And here's my example. My boys, I, I give them the coloring pages for these different artists and brands who do coloring contests. And as they're coloring a picture of a fish, and on the bottom of this page there are a handful of logos of brands, I don't feel like they're being subliminally tricked into shopping for this brand of waders or this brand of fly rods. There's some people that feel very strongly about this, and I've seen them on social media, I've seen them on the internet, I've had conversations with them in Trout Unlimited and other fly fishing activities. Personally, I feel like it's on me to be the discerning consumer when it comes to what I am consuming and what I am giving my kids to consume. So this article, again, is called A Different Color of Fly Fishing Marketing, and it kind of talks about that a little bit. Wednesday's article is called Five Minutes More and One Last Cast, Part 2. So it's Part 2. So the uh, canny observer will realize that there was a Part 1, and Part 1 came out last week. This is a semi-fictional uh, narrative of a trip up into the mountains to catch brook trout and the misadventures of a protagonist. I'm sure that uh, because I can identify with this person, there's a chance that you will be able to identify with this person as well. So that's at castingacross.com. This week's recommendation is a book. I should be reviewing and recommending more books, and I, I think I will be in the future, but I have a number of articles and, and things like that on the website that do recommend a number of books. So 
check those out if you have any desire to find something to put your nose into. Actually, that being said, there is an entire page on the website that lists books that I have reviewed, so check that out. But this book is called Storied Waters by David Van Wee. It could be Van Wy, and I apologize to not have that pronunciation. But the subtitle of the book is 35 Fabled Fly Fishing Destinations and the Writers and Artists Who Made Them Famous. So, a lot of the bodies of water that uh, he goes and fishes during this quest to fish these famous waters are the kind of rivers I've been talking about. They are preeminent historically, but they're not necessarily preeminent today from the popular places where you go to catch a lot of fish. But he has the same mentality that I do, where there's a lot of value in fishing in places that have historical value, Um, whether it was even just one story or one author that um, spent his time there or a a tackle company or or something like that. And so it's a really good book. And what I really enjoy about this book, something that that I really appreciate about, about the narrative, is that there's not a lot of bombastic adventure. It really is a very normal trip. And so after you kind of settle into that groove and realize that you're reading a story that sounds a lot like a story that you would tell if you were to go on a cross-country fly fishing adventure, then it becomes very engaging because it's real. It's uh, it's not contrived. It's not the kind of thing where there's added drama that pulls you in, but at the same time is just not consistent with the rest of the story. So I really enjoyed, enjoyed that in the sense that he gets skunked a handful of times. I mean, it's not spoiling the story or anything like that, but he also catches quite a few fish. So again, the name of the book is Storied Waters. David Van Wee is the author. I'll put a link to the book on the show notes of this podcast's page on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.